Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity to to come together and bask in your presence. Lord, you're an awesome God. You're a wonderful God. You are a thoughtful God. You're a merciful God. You're a gracious God. You're such a loving God. So Lord, we ask that you have your way. Prepare us to receive a word. Touch me so I can speak a word specific to this group. Use me as your tool. I'm yours. You increase as I decrease. Lord, I pray that you bring back the things that I need to speak about and shut down the things that are irrelevant to what you want to accomplish. So as the scripture says, man plans, but you direct. So direct the rest of the service. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Family, how are we doing today? Ooh, I love that. That was so convincing. So I, I hear our Pastor Rosalinda did an excellent job, yes, last week? Amen. Amen. So I, last week, well, last week, last time I was here, we, we talked about uh, dreams and, and the whole idea that, that, that discipline becomes a bridge between your, your dream and your reality, right? And we talked about uh, that, and I, I got the date. So it was January 12th. They say it was a quitter's day. January 12th. What do I mean by that? That's the day that the average person who set up a New Year's resolution quit. Don't start looking around. You know, don't point because you know, the finger might come back to you. But the question is, Why? Do we quit? Why do we, do we, do we, do we go through a process of, of, of moving towards something? We get excited. We, we start sharing, like, this is what I'm going to do New Year's. You know, you have the, the conversation towards the end of the year. It's stirred up but, uh, about the New Year's resolution and what we're going to do and excitement. Like, yes, I'm a, I, I got my goals set for next year. I'm going to lose this amount of weight. I'm going to eat this type of food. I'm going to start this business. I'm going to uh, fix some relationships here. And then all of a sudden, they say by January 12th, the average individual quits. How many of you were there? How many of you, thank you for your honesty. How many of you got to January 12th and said, nah, this is not for me? And remember the principle. A man without a vision for the future will always... Come on, CCC. A man without a vision for the future will always live... A man without a vision for the future will always live in the... So this year is 2020 vision. This is about getting a real vision for your life. And some, somebody asked me, well, Pastor Jamal, what do you do? How do you set up your dreams? I said, well, first of all, I go t- 10 years. I set up a 10-year vision. What do I want to accomplish in 10 years? Because there's some big goals that I want to accomplish in 10 years that I actually got to start now. And I start up a one-year goal. I have a three-year goal, a five-year goal, and I have my 10-year goal. But each year, I create a one-year goal that gets me closer to my goal of that 10-year mark. And I came across this book, and, and, and I started trying to do a study. and say, okay, why do people you know, have a hard time really um, making that adjustment? How, why do a lot of people have a hard time reaching that goal? Why do people have a hard time with, 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 with really sticking to this thing? Of course, one is discipline, right? The other thing is I, I, I don't want to come out of my comfort zone. I, I, you know, the, the problem with a comfort zone it causes you to think that you're thriving. 
because you think that you're thriving and you really can't thrive in your comfort zone. You can maintain some things, but unless, uh, unless you're not human, we have an innate drive for better. There's something in us. There's something that, that, that God has put in us that we say, well, I, I deserve more. I deserve better. And you can't do that in your comfort zone. So I was struggling to say, wow, you know, because the idea is we've been talking about exercising new disciplines. You know, we talked about understanding the power of why. Why do you do what you do? We also talked about the power of no. Say no now so you can say yes later. Right? So, so you say no to something so you can say yes to it later. We talked about the power of repositioning. Repositioning individuals. Repositioning, you know, uh, certain uh, circles, certain interactions with individuals. We talked about repositioning our, 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 our financials, our finances. You know, maybe I need to go a month with just buying, you know, bringing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Maybe I'll go the week, five, four days, and then Friday I'll splurge a little. Getting my, you know, add a, instead of having water with me, I'll add a little juice with that. But this is how disciplined you have to get for some of us in order to reach this goal. I got one individual I used to work with. He didn't have a problem. Peanut butter just had every day for two months. I said every day. He said, yep, because what I'm going for tastes better than this peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But what I realized is that I came across this book, and it's an old book. Because even for me, I found myself at this place. See, because Dr. Bernard has taught us that when change is necessary, not the change becomes destructive. When change is necessary, not the change becomes destructive. And that's, that's a, 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 it's so true. And the scary thing about it is when change is necessary, not to know you need to change becomes scary. You know, you got that individual where they, they get mad at everybody. They keep saying, I'm mean. I said, when does it get to a point where you look at yourself and say, okay, maybe it's not everybody and maybe it's me. We quickly want to, we, we, the, the hardest thing for us to do is really accept our flaws. So I said, maybe it's you. And I was there at one point. When change is necessary, not to change, become destructive. So I came across this book. It's an old school book. It's about like 20, 20 years old, maybe older than that, called The Seven Habits of highly effective people, right? See, some, some of my old heads, they, they know that book. <laughs> that, got, that, that book got a lot of y'all through some things, right? And it's funny because when you're, at one, when you, when you're reading something at one level of maturity and you grab it up and read it at another level of maturity, it takes on new meanings. Certain things pop out at you because I was going through the book, I'm like, wow, I didn't highlight this, but this is really some good stuff. And I said, wow. And in, 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 in the book, not even in the first chapter, I think it's like the first, uh, the, the first section preparing you for the first chapter, he talks about this thing called a paradigm shift. 
And in this book, this whole concept and idea made this verse pop out very big in my head. I was like, wow, I never looked at this verse the same way before until I read this thing called the paradigm shift. Let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And I'm reading out of Amplified Bible. It says, do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind. Focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. I love that. Because attitude determines approach and approach determines success or failure. So that you may prove for yourselves that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. And I said, wow, what happens? Why? Because I used to wrestle with that scripture. Certain scriptures we wrestle with. How about this scripture, Matthew 5, 44? He said, you've, you've been taught this, that love your friends and hate your enemies. But I want to shift your paradigm. I want to shift the lens that you see things. I says, no, love your friends, but also love your enemies. And he continues in the scripture. He says, anybody can love their friend. But what sets you apart is the fact that you love your enemies. And not only do you love your enemies, in the Amplified Bible it says you pray for them. You have a desire for them to succeed. And I used to wrestle with that scripture because this certain individuals I wouldn't want to pray for. Oh, come on, saints. There's certain individuals I, 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 I start praying for, but I pray something different. Come on, Chris, Chris, being a Christian is not easy because there's certain things that is asked of us to do certain. You know, I'm like, Lord, you said love our enemy. Okay, I could possibly do that. If I see them in the streets, we're not going to beef. But now you're saying pray for them? And not only pray for them, pray for them to succeed as individuals, succeed as my enemy. Yeah, there's certain scriptures I wrestle with. And what Jesus was doing was creating this thing called a paradigm shift. Because we all come to a place where the lens we see life through is challenged. What do I mean by that? Let me see, I'm just making sure I'm going through my notes correctly. The word paradigm comes from a Greek, from the Greek, and was originally a scientific term. In general sense, it is the way we see the world. Not in terms of our visual sense of sight, but in terms of our perceiving, understanding, and interpreting. It is a theory an explanation, or a model of something else. Paradigms are powerful because they create the lens by which we see the world. He, said that, he, he says in, in the book, he said that paradigms are, 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 are like a map. He said the problem with the map is that, that he said he, his story was basically a map was given to an individual and with, with the mistake that he was going on his way to Chicago, so he had a map that he thought was Chicago, but it actually said Detroit on it. No. I forgot the state, so we're going to say New York. 
So he's on his way to Chicago. He throws a map of Chicago. It's actually a, a, a map of New York, but Chicago is written on the top of the map. And some people say, well, it's your character that gets you uh, to a place of success. As long as you got a strong character, it'll get you to a place of success. Then you got another group of individuals that says, no, it's about the attitude. Right? The right attitude will give you the ability to achieve it. And he says that, he says that, that you, you can get the map, and you read the map, and you're on your way, and you're excited, but you have, you have, a, bad, you have a good character. It still won't get you to the destination because it's the wrong map. He says, so paradigms are often like that. Oh, you got the, the right attitude. You're excited. And then no matter where you go, no matter how lost you get, you say, oh, God is good. But if you got the wrong map, it still doesn't get you to your destination. And he said, he said the paradigms are like these maps that we create in our head. And he said, no matter how much you believe in that paradigm, Ultimately, a paradigm can be wrong. And the biggest thing we don't like to be challenged is our paradigm. When I first got married, right, this is the immature Pastor Jamal. The first question I asked my wife, because I thought I was the man, was what were you thinking? And Lord have mercy, that was a wrong question to ask. <laughs> you know, as spicy my wife was, said, what, what, what were you thinking? You know how the, the Puerto Ricans are. <laughs> For some reason, like, they're born with this natural inclination to respond like this. Right? You married to a Puerto Rican. See, he know. <laughs> you know, they respond like this. So she said, what were you thinking? And I got offended. And I'm telling her she's wrong for even asking for what I'm thinking because what I'm thinking, I know is right. So first is the argument, that the, the, the thing that got us into the argument. Now we escalated to another level because she asked me what I'm thinking. Like, my thinking is wrong. And I look at her, I'm like, what you thinking? And she, she goes, what were you thinking? I'm like, well, well, I was thinking right. She said, no, you weren't because we weren't being in this argument. I said, so you were thinking right? She said, that's right. I'm always right. <laughs> Come on, husbands, am I, am, I, am I alone on this? <laughs> Ultimately, she was right. But I think the problem even was, was superseded in whatever we were arguing about, because to this day, I still don't remember what we were arguing about, but I know that she got offended because I, I, I questioned her thinking, and I got even more offended, and the argument would, would escalated because I questioned her thinking, and she questioned my thinking. What lens are you seeing this through is the question she was asking. She said, what were you using to view this situation for you to come to this conclusion? And very rarely do we look at the lens that we see life through that leads us to a specific conclusion. And often we have individuals in society, don't point, that has a specific lens. And anything outside of that lens, everybody else is wrong. You got arguments in politics because of a lens. You got arguments in theology because of a lens. You got societal arguments of, 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 of how things should be in social norms because of a lens. And the scary thing about it is you can believe in your lens so much so, and it still can be incorrect. 
So now Rosalinda preached a message on paradigm. I mean on Lazarus, sorry. And throughout the story of Lazarus, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, your man Lazarus, he died. No, yeah, he died. Right? This is further on. There's more stuff, uh, pre-story, but she spoke about last week, so I don't have to go really into it. And Jesus wept. But then he goes, and he looks, he, he's, he's troubled by these individuals. And he's having a conversation. He said, but Lazarus is not dead. He's asleep. And what he's doing, he's challenging the lens that they're seeing the situation through. He's challenging. He said, first of all, look who you're talking to. Have I not been with you long enough for you to grasp the understanding of the man you are in conversation with? That's the first lens he challenges. And then he challenges what, the, the lens of looking at the situation higher than the God that they were talking to. Because remember, they were talking to God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. So if you understand that and then you look at a situation like this, then you won't trouble yourself. Remember, doubt comes in whenever you are questioning the nature of the thing that you're doubting. We wrestle with this whole idea, but doubt comes in. So when you're doubting, you're questioning nature, and they're looking at Jesus, and Jesus is like, <laughs> and, I, I, and, and I feel that his heart was a little troubled because he's looking at these individuals, and he comes in, he steps in, and he calls Lazarus. And at that moment, it was an aha. But the sad thing about it, it wasn't for everybody that viewed this. See, the aha moment is that moment when you're shifting your lens. The aha moment is when that paradigm shift is is just interrupts your paradigm, but not just interrupts it with a negative thing, but it increases your level of knowledge, your level of seeing. It's like, wow, I see it this way, but a little focusing. Now I see, ooh, God is good. Bro, come on. You start looking at a situation like you you asking where God is. See, God is a man. He's like that, 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 that individual who can throw a whole bunch of bricks up in the air. He pulls a string and then boom, you got a house. And you're questioning the, 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 the presence of God. You, can, you feel like you're sometimes lonely or you're not hearing the voice. And all of a sudden he pulls the string like, wow. And you say, God is good. But the goodness is not just because of a cliche, but you just got a paradigm shift. So we're going to do a little exercise. I was trying to think of props for this message, but I didn't have no props. I was going to do a, you know, some building and stuff like that, and they said God is like this, and boom, a house. Yeah, no, nah, I'm not that good. Yeah, I'd have had a mess. You know, a mess. And this is a mess. My dad did this years ago. It's actually from a Harvard uh, program of watching. Some of you might remember this, for those who've been with us for a long time. Don't cheat. If you remember this, don't, 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 don't cheat. So everybody look at it, study it, get the details.
Because so the first one is you can have a paradigm, but it can be incorrect. There's a second part to this. Everybody has a paper. Study it. Look at the 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 the, the features. Look at everything. Everybody, everybody sees what they have. This came out of a Harvard study about 28 years ago. Some of y'all are trying to guess, figure out where I'm going with this. Just look at your paper. Stop playing. <laughs> All right, everybody, everybody got understanding. Don't put another picture up and tell me what you see. What do you see? What's on your paper? How many of you see an old lady? So you see the old lady? How many of you see the young lady? Some, how many of you see both? So what happens is, so somebody's saying, like, where's the young lady? Young lady is, 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 is the one, she's turned her face like this. So now how many of you see the young lady? Just look at the, you look for the young lady. How many of you see the young lady? See the ah? You heard, you heard, you heard that? Huh? So you heard the ah, right? <laughs> how many see the young lady? Wait, let's focus on the young lady. I, I need everybody to be able to see the young lady. Can everybody see the young lady? Who does not see the young lady? All right. So, 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 so whoever is on this side, take your paper and give it to somebody who does not see the young lady. Raise your hand if you don't see the young lady. Come on, share papers. Let's go across. We're going we're gonna to interact with individuals. Go across. So if you don't have it, Right there, we need some more papers in the back. Elroy, uh, right behind you. Elroy, Elroy, right behind you. There's the two individuals back there. So how many of you are like, oh. So, so you see the young lady. Does everybody see the young lady? Right? Now how many of you see the old lady? Who does not see the old lady? So I need some papers over here. I need some people to get up and share some papers on this side so we can all see the old lady. Come on, CCC. Like, come on. Share. Don't be scared. Come on. Nobody on this side shared. They all shared with this side, and nobody on this side shared. Someone like, I'm not sharing my paper. I need somebody. Who does not see the old lady on this side? So I need some papers over here. Uh-oh, there goes the aha moment. You see you hear the aha moment? You see, you see the old lady? How many of you see the old lady? Who's the, okay, here we go. For the old lady, look at the neck. Look at the neck, right? You got the chin, you got the nose, you see the eye? Aha! So everybody sees the old lady and the young lady. Right? We see both. So this is the, this is the, this is the other idea. So number one, your paradigm 
can be so believable but still be incorrect. Right? Number two, you can have this uh, a paradigm, but based on the perspective that you're looking at the same picture, you can come out with this different information. And it doesn't mean your paradigm is wrong because your paradigm is fed with information. Where do we get our, 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 our paradigms from? We get our paradigm from, from school. School creates our paradigm. Home creates your paradigm. Friends create your paradigm. Not just friends, associates create your paradigm. Church creates your paradigm. Social media creates your paradigm. And what happens is you take all this information and you take yourself to a place where you look at views a certain way. And the biggest problem is once we arrive at our paradigm, it's very difficult to switch it. And we are ready to go to bat and fight for our paradigm. Individuals will go to war for a paradigm. And the problem is, just because you believe the way you see the world doesn't mean that you shouldn't be open to other possibilities. And what happened was, there, are, there was another possibility for that picture. And you were able to see it based on the information you received. So the individuals that were here received the picture of the old lady, no, the young lady, they quickly saw the young lady. And the individuals over here, the, the, the predominant group of individuals that received the old lady saw the old lady. But then when I started challenging you to say there's something different, there's something else, you were having a hard time. And just because the picture was described differently doesn't mean that you were wrong. In the book, he talks about, he says that how, how when, when, when they do this study in, um, in the schools, that individuals actually start talking about individuals negatively. Like, ha, ah, you're an idiot. How do you not see the young lady? Ha, ah, you, you're, you're a moron. How do you not see the, the old lady? And they start going back and forth, and they belittle individuals just because they're not at the same paradigm as you. That happens in church. That happens in the world. So we got arguments of the church. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, no baptism. Speaking in tongues, no speaking in tongues. What's really saved, what's not really saved. And John 3.16 says basically this, for God so loved the world, and everyone and everyone that believes in him and confesses their mouth, they shall be saved. So at the core, fundamental, basically, is John 3.16. Now we can get into theological conversations pertaining to the hypostatic union. Right? We can get into the conversation of soteriology and eschatology. But at the core is John 3.16. That's right. That's right. And the problem within the church is we have such conflict that because of how fragmented we are based on a paradigm, we lose our effectiveness in this world. I have a little daughter, too, but my youngest one, she's my three-year-old. She's the hardest one to convince that what she's thinking 
the way she's thinking is wrong. To the point where I can have physical evidence. So yesterday she was walking around with her shoes. And some of my nephews, they saw her. Now, shoes were on the wrong feet. Why do kids put their shoes on the wrong feet? <laughs> no matter what. And I t- tell her, I said, your shoes are on the wrong feet. No, they're not, daddy. I said, mama, look at your feet. Look at your big toe. It is hanging over. It's not supposed to be like that. Yes, it is. So I said, you know what? Go talk to your mother. <laughs> Let me give you three points. See, this is significant because, as my earlier point, we see the world not as it is. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. I'll repeat that. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. Or we see the world as we are conditioned to see it. So sometimes reality and your paradigm don't align. Our paradigms, correct or incorrect, are the source of our attitudes. So if you have a teenage daughter, no, even a son. Because my son, I'd be looking at him, what, what, what are you thinking? And sometimes the answer is I wasn't. I'm like, okay, I can, I can deal with that. Because if you were thinking and you still ended up in this, then I got a problem. I'd rather you say I wasn't thinking That's right. than you were thinking and you still did this. I'm like, ooh, that's scary. The reason why is because our paradigm, incorrect or correct, is the source of our attitudes and behaviors and ultimately affects our relationship with others. And that's one thing my wife helped me understand. My wife taught me a lot. Don't tell her I said this, because then you know. <laughs> but she taught me a lot. I was that guy, the immature guy, that swore it wasn't me. And it was, man, a couple of times. Thank you. Thank you. And, 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 and she, she, a couple of times, would shift my paradigm by asking basic questions. And there was this one time I was talking about this, this young individual, they're in the gym, they're working out, and I'm like, you know, um, the outfit was not cool. And I'm looking, I'm like, you know, should I say something? I shouldn't say something. It was actually bothering me. Like, why would you come out the house like this? I'm like, why are you, you, you didn't look at yourself in the mirror? And she responded and said, maybe it just doesn't bother them. And I was like, wow. That was like an aha moment. 
She said, why is it bothering you? They, maybe they saw themselves and just didn't care because they had a, a specific goal and it was just to get to the gym. Maybe if they, did, if, they, if they worked on their whole outfit, they would never made it to the gym. So they just grabbed whatever they did. They made it to the gym. She said, maybe. I was like, maybe. No, maybe. <laughs> Because once again, I thought it was right questioning why this person was dressed the way they were dressed. I thought I was right to get bothered by the way this person was dressed. But she challenged my thinking to look at things differently. Maybe. And sometimes we got to take ourselves out of it. There was, in, in the book, he also talks about the story. So in, on the train, the, the, he's on the train, they're in the city. And how many of you rode the city train? Stuff goes on. One time I was sitting on a train, the rat was sitting next to me, and people were arguing. And the rat looked at me, just shook his head. I, I said, I know, right? <laughs> And he said he was on the train, and this guy came on the train with his kids. And his kids was running around, causing ruckus, knocking people, knocking into people, knocking people's stuff over. And he looked at the guy and said, hey, you're not going to say something to your kids? And he came to himself. He said, man, I'm so sorry. He said, maybe this is the way my kids are responding to the fact that they just lost their mother. Maybe. And we come to our, with our paradigms with some arrogance, with some assumptions already built into our paradigm, and we're quick to judge based on the paradigm, and we never look at it and say, maybe. So before I close, let me give you three things real quick. Number one, learn to be vulnerable with your paradigm. Learn to be vulnerable with your lens. I understand sometimes it's hard to be vulnerable. So number two, right? Number one is vulnerability. Number two is protecting your vulnerability. I mean, PJ, how you, how you say, you know, be vulnerable but yet protected because you can't just let anybody speak into your paradigm. Everybody's not mature enough to handle and speak into your paradigm. That's like having a little kid speak to dealing with, you know, a multi-million dollar property. They don't know anything about it. So number one, be vulnerable with your paradigm. Allow people to speak into it. Number two, protect your vulnerability. Don't allow anybody to speak into that. And number three, a new number three. Make sure you are the main person speaking into your paradigm. And what do I mean by that? You go and start reading. 
educate your paradigm. You start having conversations with individuals as they shift. Educate your paradigm. You speak to your paradigm. And they said, well, that, 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 does that make sense, Pastor Mark? Yes, it does make sense. Because some of the most consistent content you can come across is written in a book and not on social media. Some of the most consistent content, for example, remember I said, one of the things you got to do coming out of your comfort zone is find somebody that is where you want to be and have a conversation with them. You did the work. You found them. You interact with them. You are feeding your paradigm. See, the, the problem that Jesus had when he was walking on this earth was really a, attacking the paradigm of the scribes and Sadducees. So they'll ask questions like, what is the greatest commandment? Trying to trip them up. They'll ask questions like, you know, you know, uh, should we pay Caesar the tax? And he shifted their paradigm or, or the individuals who were open to a paradigm shift. See, the problem that we, the reason why we have a hard time getting past Quitter's Day is because we don't go through a process of shifting our paradigm to see things how they could be. Remember, I said you saw a car, see yourself in the car, paradigm shift. You see a neighborhood, see yourself living in that neighborhood, paradigm shift. You see a house, see yourself opening the door with your own set of keys, Paradigm shift. Yeah. See, I believe in order to bring your dreams into reality, you have to have a paradigm shift. I'll end with this story. Slave masters understood this concept. I used to wonder how did somebody stay in bondage, willingly stay in a place of bondage. And this doesn't matter what culture it is. It could have been dealing with the blacks, the Hispanics. It could have been dealing with, with you know, uh, uh, the, the, the individuals over in Europe. Because we had some white European slaves. And I used to question how did this, did, this, did this happen? And what they, the slave masters did, they beat them into a new paradigm. They beat them into not only a physical bondage is one thing, but you know what the strongest bondage is? Mental bondage. Yes. Dr. Noir used to teach it. He said there's more people inside, uh, inside prisons than there are people in, behind a jail, iron bars. See, because mentally, the prisons that we create in our mind and they would beat these individuals and mistreat these individuals till they felt like they were less than. They would, they would take them and, 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 and we saw a color purple. Boy, what's your name? I'm Kunta Kente. No, your name is Toby. And they beat him and beat him until he would, would, would turn around and accept this name. I mean, Roots. Thank you. Yeah. But in Roots, Right? Not only do they go to the process to beat them, then they re-identify who they were, That's right. That's right. who they are. And to the point where, where, where the white uh, uh, slave owners would, would, would come and come across the Bible and they said, that we can't let them learn how to read. Mm 
They said, because if, if, they, if they learn how to read, they can approach this Bible. And if they approach this Bible, they, they will be able to have a new paradigm shift. And they come into this thing called, this concept called the Imago Dei. And what happens is when you come into the concept of this, uh, this thing called the Imago Dei or the image of God, you start looking at yourself, wait, wait, I'm worth something? Wait, I'm valuable? Wait, the very thing that they said was, 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 was the reason for putting us into bondage is the very thing that can free us from bondage once we come to contact and understanding of this Bible. See, the Bible was so crucial in creating this paradigm shift that caused individuals to understand that they were worth the present condition. And if it wasn't for this paradigm shift, the drive for freedom... The Harriet Tubman's out there would not have happened until they had come to this place of a paradigm shift. It says, no, I'm more valuable than my present conditions. I'm more worthy than my present conditions. I will step out of it, even if it's at the cost of my life. Because he understood the value of their life. So I bring up paradigm shift, you may have jokes about it, but there's something significant and crucial about understanding the whole idea of learning how to adjust your lens. That's why back in the days, our, our, one of our, our, our whole ideas, our mottos or, or, or statements were seeing life from God's point of view. Because when you start seeing life from God's point of view, you come to a realization of who you are. Because remember, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. What does that mean? That he gave his only begotten son. So I started looking at myself, say, okay, who's Jamal Bernard? That you're so mindful of me. We're going to continue this next week. So you just close our Bibles. So as we close, we stand up. You know, we come bring, I'll bring it back to Romans 12. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He said, basically what he's saying is, you transform who you are as, as you add and, 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 and give information to your paradigm because then you have this paradigm shift. And remember, your paradigm affects your behavior. The way you see life affects your behavior. So now God is saying, no, look at life from, from, from godly principles. Look at life from, from, from godly values. And then if you look at life this way, you'll start cheating it different. So no longer do I have to argue with you about murder. Love your, yourself as your neighbors. So that, that'll handle everything. Those two principles, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your intellect. Love your neighbors as you love yourself. That's right. Those two are the peg, he said, That's right. that holds all other yes. commandments. Yes. So if I love my neighbor, even if he's my enemy, I value his life. Mm-hmm. That's why God goes to a big paradigm shift to identify who you are, learning that your identity is in Christ. Because if you can't love yourself because you have identity crisis, then how do I expect you to love somebody else? So we find our identity in Christ. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm finished this next week. I pray you got something out of this. Amen.
I pray for you? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I ask that you touch these individuals. They come to an understanding of what and how significant their lens is. Because even the lens filters how they approach the Bible, what they get out of the Bible. Lord, I ask that you just do some adjustment. Touching each and every individual in this room. Touch their eyes to see, not just their physical eyes, but their spiritual eyes. Anoint them afresh. Help them be vulnerable. But Lord, help them protect their vulnerability. Give them the understanding of how important it is for them to feed their paradigm. So Lord, anoint them afresh. Bless them right now. And as we talk about a paradigm shift, if there's anybody who does not know Christ as a personal Lord and Savior, and they have received a paradigm shift to say, wow, I need to know this Jesus. I need to be transformed by the renewal of my mind. I want you to raise your hand. That's you in the building. That's you on social media. If you don't know what I mean, I'm talking to you. Father God, just continue watching over them, protect them, God, God, and govern their path. Let no harm or danger come to them as they travel and from and, and to each and every destination. As your word says, to and fro, Lord, have your way. Anoint them afresh. Let them be salt and light in a dark environment. Help them become Christ in culture. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Come on, say it with us. We got some visitors. <laughs> this, Bible this Bible is our primary source of faith. Source of faith. This, Bible this Bible is our rule of conduct. Rule of conduct. This, Bible this Bible creates a lens, creates a lens that we see life through. As we leave this place in never God's presence, Jesus is Lord, period. We believe it, we proclaim it, and we're seeing it come to pass. God bless and enjoy the rest of your Sunday.